Hey, good evening. Go birds. All right, some of you are awake. It's good. Hey, uh, my name is Evan. As Joe said, uh, I'm from this mysterious land called Northeast Philadelphia. So I don't know if you have fa family or friends over there, but we did start a church there uh, in Northeast Philadelphia some years ago by Red Lion and the Boulevard. So uh, we're a little up there in Northeast, but happy to be here today. Didn't take me too long, about like 30, 35 minutes, you know, so I'm um, excited. I guess the fact that the Eagles aren't playing a home game made the trip across Waltman Bridge just a little bit easier today than it normally would be. Um, but yeah, thankful for godly men like Pastor Joe. Uh, I, I met Pastor Joe some years ago. Uh, we were both kind of hanging uh, at Liberty River Wards, uh, which is in the Fishtown area of the city. And um, yeah, if you, you know anything about Pastor Joe, is you're probably not going to outwork him. Right? He works hard, he cares for people, and he keeps moving. And what I love to see, I love to see him and Christy and his family uh, getting away and uh, getting down the shore, down the Wildwood, I've seen. And so thank you for making opportunities for him to do that, for his family to do that. And um, just happy, me personally, I'm happy to know Pastor Joe and be here. So today, uh, Pastor Joe just read Galatians 2. Uh, it was up on the screen. There's something kind of like this deep theological uh, doctrine here in the passage that I kind of want to point out for us. The word that we typically refer to this as is justification. So it's this big word. I'm going to break it down, but it's this word justification. And so when Paul talks about like the freedom that we have in Jesus, and he talks about the freedom that Cephas, who's Peter, right, the great apostle Peter is not living out of that freedom. Peter's not living out of justification. And justification is this idea that although you and I are condemned because of our sin, we can actually have our sins forgiven by God. And not only that, we can actually be declared innocent by God through faith in Jesus, which is good news, right? Because many of us have screwed up. Many of us stand condemned, or we should be condemned, but it's in faith in Jesus that we rest. We rest in that faith in Jesus. And then when God looks at me, God looks at you, he sees us as forgiven, as sons and daughters of God, not sinners, not rejected. But he sees us as his family. And so not only are we forgiven, he actually sees us as innocent in all that. You don't have to take my word for it about how the importance justification is to the Christian faith. And if you've been hanging out at Epiphany for some time, you'll know this is something that you probably hear often. It might be a little bit more subtle. So we're just going to be super clear about this doctrine that comes out in Galatians 2. There's going to be some old school names here. I'm just going to list off John Calvin, Thomas Cramer, and Martin Luther. All right, you may not know any of those. It might be your project, your homework later is to Google some of those names. But John Calvin, he's this French Christian uh, years and years ago, about 500 years ago, he said this, that justification is the main hinge on which salvation turns. Thomas Cramner says that the justification is the strong rock and foundation of Christian religion. And then Martin Luther is this German reformer, lived you know, 600, 500 years ago. He says this, Justification is the chief article of Christian doctrine. And then listen to what he says. He says, so that when justification has fallen, 
everything has fallen. This is such an important thing for us to grasp. If we're saying we're followers of Jesus, this is important for us to grasp, for us to know, and not only that, for us to believe and live out of. It's one thing to believe it up here. It's another thing to believe it in your heart and to live out of it, that you should be condemned, but that you're actually forgiven. And God looks at you, because of Jesus, looks at you as innocent and not condemned. And so, today I'm talking about three things. I'm talking about the need to be justified, the possibility to be justified, and the way to be justified. And so we, talk, we saw here about the need to be justified, right? We saw that there's this kind of this argument between the Jewish and Gentile Christians in Galatians 2. And they're arguing particularly on the act of circumcision. Should Jewish Christians require Gentile Christians to be circumcised. This ancient practice by the Jewish people that marked you off as God's family, as, as a Jew, should Christians who are Gentiles, non-Jews, become circumcised? And what's happening is that Paul and Titus and his, his posse, they're all hanging out and they're saying, no, that's not a requirement because we are free in Christ. We don't live by the Old Testament law. We live out of Christ. And then the Jewish Christians are saying, no, 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 you still have to do that. That's still the mark of what it means to be a follower of Jesus is to be circumcised. Believe in Jesus, but then also be circumcised. It's this idea of Jesus, yes, plus these few other things, following the law being circumcised. This is what you're supposed to do. And so there's this argument of what does it mean to be justified? Is Jesus enough? Or do I have to do Jesus and I have to do these other things? This is the argument that Peter's having with Paul. And Paul comes to Peter and he confronts him. And he says, you are a Jew. And when you're with the Gentiles, you act like a Gentile. You live out of that freedom in Christ. But when the Jews are around... The Jewish Christians are around. You go back to the ways of being under bondage of the law. And so you and I, though, we need something or someone to justify us. Each of us, no matter who you are or whatever your background is, each of us seeks to justify ourselves before others. I need to make some type of excuse or reason. I need to justify breathing the same air as Pastor Joe. I need to justify breathing the same air as one of my coworkers or my spouse or my friend or everybody else. I need something about me that proves that it's worth, my life is worth living amongst everybody else. There's this runner in the movie Chariots of Fire. He says this, he says, when the gun goes off, I have 10 lonely seconds to justify my existence. So what is that for you? For some of us, it's productivity. I can't live unless I'm productive. It doesn't matter if I'm sick in bed. I need to be doing something. I need to get up and I need to clean the house or I need to get up and do some work. Or if I'm going to be in bed and uh, I have a white-collar job. I'm going to be answering emails in, during that time. And this might be you if you're the type of person, and this is my, where I really fall in this category. As I, Productivity is the reason that I believe allows me to breathe the same air as you. 
you might be that type of person if you work yourself to death. And you will. Statistics show you will work yourself to death. But you, this might be you if, like, no matter what day of the week is, it might be Saturday, it might be your day off, it might be Sunday. You have to be working on something. You have to be fixing something at your house. You have to be preparing something for Monday. For you, right? This is your cross that you bear because you believe I'm more productive than anyone else. I can breathe the same air as everyone else. And for some of us, it's our children, right? We say, my children make life worth living. My children justify my existence. But think about the crushing weight that is on our kids. That you are the reason I live. And so you have to fulfill all the things that I couldn't do. You need to do them now. And although we cheer our kids on, although we're excited for our kids, although we want them to do better than us, if they do the same lives as us, we think, I failed as a dad. I failed as a mom. doesn't matter how good of a parent I was, how godly of a parent I was. If they don't live a better life than me, I failed. And for some of us, it's moral standing. My motivations for doing things are right. Everyone else's are wrong. And this particularly happens like during political times and political motivations. We kind of say, I love America. They don't. I am not racist, bigoted, xenophobic, whatever other phobics you want to throw in there, but they are. I'm more morally right than them. And some of us, it's our religious standing that we believe justifies us. I go to church. I read my Bible. I pray. They don't. I can make God happy with me. And so what we end up doing is we quantify our work for God. Sure, today I read my Bible for 30 minutes. Tomorrow, God, I'll be back for 45. And if I don't do those things, if I don't come to church as frequently as I should, it's good to go to church. Pastor Joe would appreciate if you came to church. It's good to read your Bible. It's good to pray. It's good to care for the poor and the hurting. But if that's what makes you, if you believe you should breathe the same air as everyone else because you do those things, Paul would say, you missed the point. We believe that somehow I can live up to God's expectations. But the truth of the Bible is that you and I can never live up to God's expectations. God expects you to be perfect. I don't know you very well. I meant that you know a couple of you. And I'm sure you're great but you're probably not perfect. I'm not perfect. I'll be very clear about that. My wife knows that to be truer than anyone else. I am not perfect. See, the Jewish people that Paul is pushing back against, they believe that they are righteous before God, that they meet God's expectations just because they were born Jewish, because they keep up the religious traditions. And God will accept them for that. But Paul's saying, that's not how it works. Imagine you're sitting in a courtroom and you're seeing an accused war criminal stand before the judge. And as the trial goes on, the laws are read and the war criminal realizes that he will be condemned. He's violated every law of war. 
And the judge will most certainly pronounce him guilty, right? He's done. He's doomed. Or imagine you're at a really expensive restaurant, right? Like Red Lobster or something like that, all right? You're at Red Lobster. You just got this job promotion, and you're celebrating with your family and friends. You got an increase in salary, so you're just like, you're going all in, right? You're getting the endless shrimp for everybody. And you're just tearing into that shrimp, and then all of a sudden the bill comes out, and you forgot your wallet. The bill is so high, there's not any dishes, number of dishes under heaven that you could wash to pay off that bill. See, what Paul is trying to point out, what the Bible points out to us is that because of our sin, you and I are guilty criminals. You and I have a bill that we will never be able to pay. No matter, there's not enough dishes under heaven for us to wash, for God to accept us. Romans 3 says that all have sinned. No one's lived up to God's expectations. And sin is one way, of, one way we could say is that sin is any way that we've rebelled or resisted God's designed peace for our world. So, and then the Bible even says, yes, you and I have our individual sins, but we're actually born with sin. Adam, the first human, when he sinned, the Bible says we were all being represented, represented by Adam. And so before I even breathe a breath of air in this world, I am condemned. So when God reads his law and he reads it out, every word condemns us because we failed and we have fallen short. And that's why Paul is challenging Peter. Say, when we read out God's law, Peter, you're condemned too. We're all condemned. But there's freedom in Christ that you're missing here, Peter. Never, it's a... When we have this huge debt, we'll never be able to pay it off. We'll never be able to work hard enough. Our righteousness will never be good enough, the Bible says. And your own efforts, my own efforts, betray us too. We'll never be good enough for God to accept us. We won't. Your sin, my sin, makes it that God cannot accept me. It's like you have a resume of all your actions and your resume falls short. You never finished that degree, right? You left every job after six months. By the way, your resume is handwritten with a pen and it's band penmanship. There's coffee stains all over it. It's like us going to God and say, God, accept me with my bad, disgusting, unfinished resume. Give me a job. All of our actions are like dirty rags, Paul says. And God in his justice, he has to judge us because of our sins. I've broken the law. You've broken the law. We've fallen short. You need to be judged. I need to be judged. And I know you're thinking like, great, came to church at 5 o'clock on a Sunday to have this guy tell me that I stand condemned. I just hang on for a second, okay? Because what God has also done, although you should be condemned, although you should be judged, God has provided a way. God has made it a possibility to be justified. God has made it a possibility to be forgiven and be seen as innocent. And Galatians 2 verse 16 says, And yet, because we know that a person is not justified by the works of the law, right? You're not justified by that. 
but faith in Jesus Christ. Even we ourselves have believed in Jesus. See, God has provided a way for us to be forgiven. God has provided a way for you to be forgiven, for me to be forgiven. And that's good news. Because like I said, many of us have screwed up. And God says, you can be forgiven. You can be declared innocent. You should be condemned. You should be guilty. You should be separated from me forever. But I have made a way for you to be forgiven in Jesus, to be declared righteous. And the way God has done that is the costly, sacrificial death of Jesus. The debt was too high, and God has to judge sin. Why? Because God is just. He has to judge sin. But the Bible tells us, the New Testament tells us, that God judged Jesus for your sin, for my sin, instead of you. Jesus' blood paid for your sin, your slavery to sin, and set you free. And God turns his wrath away from me, away from you, off of us. And get this, he sends his wrath against our sin onto Jesus. And so he's condemned. And what are you? Forgiven. He's guilty. You're innocent. And not only that, that would be great, right? To just be innocent, be pardoned. The Bible also says that you now have the status of Jesus. So when God looks at you, when you put your faith in Jesus, when God looks at you, he doesn't see a sinner. He sees his son, Jesus, and what he's done for you. And so not only has the war criminal had all of his crimes thrown out, but he also receives the Congressional Medal of Honor. Not only is your bill paid off, but you get the restaurant too. Congratulations, you own a Red Lobster. And it seems crazy, right? That type of forgiveness. Why should a war criminal, one, be declared innocent, but two, also get the Congressional Medal of Honor? That's crazy. This type of mercy and forgiveness is unfair. It's not, doesn't appear to be just. No one, nothing in this world, you know it, I know it, no one forgives like this. No one shows mercy like God does. And so you can be accepted by God. You can be justified. Your sins can be forgiven. And forgiveness of not only rebellion, but also effort. Right? There's sins that we do that because we rebel, but there's sins that we do because we try to get God to accept us. And God says, neither of those are going to do it. You rebel, yeah. But you can't work hard enough to make me accept you. I will accept you because of what Jesus has done for you. And you might be asking, it's great, but how do I get that, right? How do I actually get justification? So there's a way to be justified. At the end of verse 16, he says this. This was so that you might be justified by what? Faith in Christ. And not by the works of the law. Because by the works of the law, no human being will be justified. We are justified through faith in Jesus and what he's done for us. Not, not what we've done for him. 
There's this legend about Martin Luther, who I quote at the beginning here, in Wartburg, Germany. And I actually got to go visit this place in Germany. It's just like this room, a castle, where he was translating the Bible uh, from Latin into German. And he's visited by the devil. Legend has it. The devil comes to him and he lists out all of Luther's sins. He said, you lust after women that aren't your spouse. You're a liar. You're a hypocrite. You're all these things. Just list them out. And Luther says, hold on. Okay, okay, hold on. And he grabs a quill, right, because back in the day they wrote with quills. And he dips it in his inkwell. And he takes a piece of paper and he says, okay, continue. And he just writes everything down that the devil is saying to him. Everything. Okay, you do this. You do that. Okay, this is how you failed. You screwed up. All right, here's all the ways you screwed up. And think about that yourself, right? If you're him, all the things you'd write down on that paper, the ways you screwed up, the ways you say you love your kids and you're like me, you told you yesterday to shut up because you're angry at him. Because he wouldn't shut up. Or you lost your temper you abuse chemicals or alcohol or been sleeping around. All those things. Luther writes all of the sins. And he says, are you done? And the devil says, yeah, I'm done. And he takes the ink, he crosses out the paper. He writes on it, cleansed by the blood of Jesus. And he takes the inkwell and he throws it at the devil. The devil disappears and the inkwell hits the wall. Cleansed by the blood of Jesus. Now, if you go to that room, your story, there is an ink spot on the wall. Legend. He also had a pretty bad temper. So he could have just got angry and thrown the ink wall against the wall. Who knows? But it's a legend illustrates a great point, right? Is that through faith in Jesus, when we put our trust in Jesus' work, we can be forgiven. Everything we've done, our whole list of sins, all of them can be cleansed or by the blood of Jesus, when we put our faith in him. In Jesus, you get pardoned. In Jesus, you get liberated. In Jesus, your sins are atoned for. And not only that, you get the status of Jesus. Jesus, God copies and pastes Jesus on top of you. The status of the only one who lived the life you should have lived, died the death you deserved to die, can be yours through faith. See, the sin of Adam was given to us. But through faith, our sin is placed on Jesus, and his status of perfect obedience is given to us. Jesus condemned. You are justified. God is just. He has to judge sin. But he's gracious that he judges sin on Jesus and on me. In Galatians 2.20-21 says this. This is a great verse, right? If you to highlight anything in your Bibles or on your smartphone, these two verses are fantastic. Memorize this. I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. Life I now live in the body. I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. I do not set aside the grace of God, for if righteousness comes through the law, then Christ died for nothing. You were dead in your sin. And what happens when you beat a dead guy? Nothing. You can't beat your body or your will into submission good enough for God to you. So what happens? been made alive in Christ. I live by faith, son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. I talked to a guy who goes, a friend of mine who goes to Liberty Northeast. And I said, when I talk about justification, and you talk about all the things that you do in your life to make other people accept you, to make God accept you, the things you do for your dad, for your spouse, for your boss, and for God. And I tell you about justification, that all of your sins are forgiven, and you actually now are forgiven, and you're innocent, and you stand of Jesus. What does that say to you? And he looks at me and says, heaven, put it off. The pressure's off of me, and all the pressure's on Jesus. And she's in hold. 
See, when my failures get too much carry, they crush me. But Jesus was crushed on my behalf. My failures are on Jesus. And so it's not my success, but Jesus is on my behalf. And Jesus is being crushed. And I get through. And so I repent of all the ways I've screwed up. I repent of my entire list of sins, all my rebellion. And I repent of all of my effort. The ways I seek to get God to, to accept me. And for others to accept me. The devil would love for you to continue to rebel. He would. But he also would love for you to believe that you can just work harder for God to accept you. Just work harder. God will finally accept you. But it's Jesus who justifies us. So we worship him for his work, not our own. And we obey him, not because he will accept us, but because we're grateful. Obey God. Tell your friends about Jesus. Drop addictions. Drop the ways you've failed. Not because God will accept you to drop them, but because you're grateful for what Jesus did for you. That Jesus died for you. And he saved you. He's forgiven your sins. And you're grateful for that. And so then you obey. And so I hope that is encouraging to you. To be reminded that you should be condemned for your sin. I should be condemned for my sin. My sins are forgiven in Jesus. When I trust in him, and I'm declared innocent. And I get status of Jesus. It's justification. Sorry. If you're here today and you have never, ever fully accepted what Jesus is offering you to be forgiven, I just want to take a moment and let you silently pray this prayer. Jesus screwed up. Please forgive me. Let me live in obedience to you, to trust in what you've done for me, and may I do these things out of gratitude for all that you've done for me. And for the rest of us, Father, thank you for Jesus being for us. We thank you that he lived the life that we should have lived, died the death that we deserve to die. And in his resurrection, we are reconciled to you and you see us not as sinners, but as sons and daughters in the kingdom. We pray that you bless Epiphany Gosser City. These would be a people that live out of forgiveness, out of that justification, and they would love their neighbors as themselves. The Pastor Joe and his family, pray you watch over them and care for them, protect them from any attacks on the devil. And I pray for all the families here too. And the devil would come to condemn them, that they would be reminded, and they would flip back and say, no, it's all been cleansed by the blood of Jesus. I'm forgiven, not condemned. I'm pardoned. I am innocent. God looks at me the same way he looked at Jesus.